Hey guys, I'm Lorena and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad that you're here and we want to connect with you and your family. So please text River Connect to 97000 and you can also um, visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and all the upcoming events we have. And lastly, if you want to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. But I do want to dig right in because we are long on time, and I still have 40 minutes, so let's go. Um, we are back into Reach, Gather, Grow uh, this week. We're, uh, this week and next week, we are still talking about our church vision. Uh, our church vision is to reach the lost gather the saints, and to grow in Christ together. It's a progression. That's why we have this circle on the screen behind me. I believe it's going to be there. There it is. Reach, gather, grow. And as you can see, there are arrows in this process because we're not meant to just stay stagnant. It is a process where we start with reaching for somebody who's lost. We gather together and learn more about Christ. We grow in our faith. And once you're growing, you are now reaching again. And that's what specifically we are talking about today. Growing in Jesus. Now in our world, some of you may have heard me use this illustration. Many of you have not. In our world, organizations are built to produce certain things. There's an expected outcome when it comes to producing what their gadget, widget, food, whatever is. What does Taco Bell produce? I was going to say stomach problems, but it is, it is tacos, all right? What does McDonald's produce? Okay, you're good with that too. But typically, it's hamburgers, right? What does Ford produce? Whoa, whoa, wow, I'm going to leave that alone. What does GM produce? And somebody else, yeah, yeah, all right. What does the church produce? A lot of different answers. That's the answer. It's disciples. The church is supposed to be producing disciples. How do we know that? Making disciples is the biggest job of the church? Well, because of what we read in Scripture. Romans 8, 20, 29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Being conformed to the image of Jesus. And of course, Romans 28, or sorry, not Romans, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and What? Make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say to go and get people saved. Or, I mean, that, we're going to learn that's part of the process. But the church produces disciples. And like we talked about last week, or I talked about last week, not consumers. People who contribute, who are growing, who are growing in their walk with the Lord. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That is the heart of a disciple. To love God with all we have, with everything we have, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what disciples do. That's how we live it out. In fact, Jesus says, how will people know that you are my disciples? 
by how you love one another. How you love one another. Philippians 1, verse 6, the book that we're studying right now with our, with, our, with our vision. And I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will be able to complete, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. But there's something that John says, and let's not get it on the screen, let's not get it on the screen yet, but we have to pay attention to this. Because sometimes we don't know what we're supposed to do as a disciple. We don't know what our next step is. Today, I want to be super practical. Some of you have heard me talk through some of these things before, but the reality is none of us have internalized them. And if you go to a gym and you sign up, what's the first thing they want to do for you? Get you in for an evaluation, find out what your goals are, and make a what? A plan so that you know what to do. Unfortunately, in the big C church, most people have no idea what their next step with the Lord is. We boil discipleship down to read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And that's just what it's down to. Read our Bibles, pray, we're good. There's so much more that God has for us. And I'm hoping today we can walk out of here with something extremely tangible. To know where we are, and what our next step might be. That's my prayer for this morning. 1 John 2.6. This is what John says. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. If you say you live in God, what's the goal? To live like Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning though. If we don't look at how Jesus lived... Like, really look at how Jesus lived. Not just, oh, he's a good guy. He loved. He just loved. How do we know how to live like Jesus lived? We've got to look at, we've got to look at the Savior. Don't look at me. Don't look at Pastor Josh. Don't look at the elders. Don't look at the deacons. Look at Jesus. Now, I pray that if you look at me, you look at Pastor Josh, you look at the deacons, you're going to see glimpses of Jesus. But then sometimes you're going to see glimpses of Josh, and it ain't all that pretty sometimes. We have to get our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that's how we know how to live like Jesus did. And so something that, an illustration that I want to share that I've shared a lot. Again, some of you have heard, some of you have not. It's something I've really grasped onto that uh, I think is a great illustration. It's called four-chair discipling. And it's all about figuring out where you are and where you want to go and where God might want to take you. And it's illustrated by four chairs. And there's going to be four chairs on the screen behind me rather than get the chairs and mess up all the stage stuff. Let's go ahead. Is that up there? Good. I don't see it back there, but that's all right. Uh, I just want to make sure we've got it up there. It's four chairs. And you are in one of these four chairs, every single one of us. The first chair is the chair of the lost person. The lost person. You're like, wait a minute. Somebody who's lost? We mean by lost. Somebody who does not yet know Jesus is actually lost. And you might say, well, that sounds really demeaning or really like talking down to somebody. Well, not really. If any of you were to lose your cell phone this morning and you don't know where it is, what are you going to do? You will frantically search for it. Let's be honest. There's always one that goes, I would be happy. Uh, Okay, fine. There's a couple of you that would say that. All right. But the reality is most of us will go, what? I don't have my connection to the world. I've got to go find my cell phone. By calling your cell phone lost, does it demean the value or does it actually raise the value because of all the time you're going to spend trying to find it? 
Consider what Jesus did to find lost people. He died on the cross. He gave his life. So actually, somebody who's lost has so much value. And we've got to tell them how much value they have because of who Jesus is. See, Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 says this, and these verses won't be on the screen. I just want you to listen this morning. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Before Jesus, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. That is the life stage of someone, or the spiritual life stage, of someone that is a lost person. They're spiritually dead. They don't, we don't know any better before we come to Christ. We don't know that what, is, what we're doing might be wrong because we don't know Jesus yet. One of the things that us as Christians have got to stop doing is expecting people that don't know Christ to act like they do. And we go out and we rant and we rave and we end up pushing the gospel further away from people rather than drawing people, allowing the Spirit of God to help people come to know who Jesus is. The Bible tells us not to make it hard for people to come to know Christ. And yet so often we as Christians make it absolutely difficult for people to choose Jesus. But what does this person need? John 1.39, he said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, where Jesus was staying. John 1.46, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see who, is, who, who Jesus is. And somebody who's lost, we need to go to them and say, come and see. Come and see. We need to let them see Jesus for who he is. We just need to do that. I, I hate to ask this morning, but I, can, can, we, can we trim my mic a little bit? I feel like we're getting ringing up here. Thank you. Um, the, second, the second chair is the chair of the believer. The chair of the believer. Now, this is a person who has come to know the Lord, who, who has accepted him. But in your spiritual stage, this is the chair of the infant or the child. Where you're newer to faith, or maybe you've done nothing to grow in your faith, and you're still an infant or child. And what does somebody that is a chair of the believer need? Well, first John 1:43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Follow me. And if you're in the chair of the believer, you've come to know Christ, and you're still in those early stages, or maybe you've never really grown in your faith. You could have known Jesus for 20 years and never grown in your faith. The reality is you need to learn what it means to follow Jesus. That is your next step. You've got to learn what it means. You've got to learn to follow Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go along this morning. The, chair, the, the third chair that, that is up there, it's the chair of the worker. This is the chair of the worker, but not necessarily a worker that you think of, well, now I'm serving, I'm singing on the stage, I'm playing an instrument, I'm, I'm changing diapers in the nursery, I'm working in kids' ministry. Those are things that are all necessary, but that's not what the center of focus is here. The worker is somebody who is now going out and doing something specific. This is a young adult. This is a spiritual young adult beginning to think outside of their own life. What's, in, what, what's interesting of a child, they only want what they want when they want it. They think about one person themselves. A dead person is dead without help, Right? A dead person doesn't talk. A dead person doesn't walk. But our God's in the business of resurrection. Amen? Amen. And he, he brings, brings things to life. 
But this person who's a young adult is now beginning to work outside of themselves and desiring different things. Matthew 4.19 says this, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The person that's a worker is learning how to fish for people. Is learning how to go out and talk to people about who Jesus is and to share the love of Christ at every possible turn. They're learning that. And then finally in chair number four, it's the chair of the disciple maker. One of the biggest signs of complete maturity in a physical, in a human physical body is the ability to reproduce. That is one of that, that's just a scientific fact. That marks maturity physically. And so somebody who's a disciple maker is now a spiritual parent. You're going to have some spiritual kids who you have now reproduced the life of Christ in. You're beginning to make disciples who make disciples. That is the goal of the church, to make disciples who make disciples. Not to sit in a chair and consume a message and hear good music and listen to Christian music all the time and make sure we don't watch the wrong shows and make sure we don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. It's to become like Jesus. It's not to be a nice person. Anybody can be a nice person. And like I said a couple weeks ago, people aren't going to look at your life and go, man, they're a nice person. They must know Jesus. That isn't how it's going to work. A parent is going to start having disciples that are growing up. John 15, 16 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. What a disciple maker needs to do is go and bear fruit. It's time to go and bear fruit. I want to ask you a very convicting question this morning. I know, stinking pastor. I try to ask myself this question a lot. How many people now know Jesus because of your testimony? How many people have grown in Christ and you have taught them how to live for Jesus because of your life? This is the goal of growing in Christ. And I say that not for guilt at all, because I have to look at my own heart too. But the reality is God has so much more for his church. And I really believe this about the church of Jesus Christ. If we would grow in our walks with the Lord, if we would actually put the same amount of effort that maybe, I don't know, I put into rooting for the 49ers last night, the reality is, is that maybe the church would make an impact in America. Maybe the church would make an impact in a world. Because we're not here to save America, we're here to save Americans. We want people to know Jesus, not to follow a political party. And if we don't get to grow together, if we don't grow, how is anybody going to know? This is why the church makes disciples. And I say this to say, come on, let's go. Not, oh, you bad people. Come on, we can do it. Jesus has given us the tools. He has given us every spiritual blessing. And we're going to see that in the book of Philippians this morning. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we'll be today. Um, Philippians chapter 3, I want to remind you that there is 
a book that we have after for every sermon series that allows you to, our staff writes devotions and Bible studies for you to be able to go through and dig a little bit deeper into each sermon series that we do. You can obtain those at our guest services desk for $5, the print edition, or you can get it on, on the website at theriverchurch.cc. You click on the media tab and then bookstore and it gets, it's a little buried, but it's in there. You can also go to our um, app. If you download the app, it's really easy to access it there as well. You can even have the daily devotions emailed to you every day. So if you have any questions about that, ask me, reach out to the church. We'd love to help you get those. But we're in the book of, of Philippians. Also want to let you know, if you want a paper copy of the Bible, we have a copy of the Bible for you for free this morning. We want everybody to be able to have a copy of the Bible. If you don't have one, see guest services. We would love to gift you one this morning, okay? I want to make sure you know that. I know we use our phones, and that's great, but if you'd like a paper copy, which, by the way, the Bible is in our River Church app as well, so you can get the Bible that way, or we'd love to give you a Bible in the back as well. Philippians chapter 3. See, Paul has been talking about... Um, how he's grown and, and what he's done and, and, and what his life is all about. And we're going to focus at chapter 12, or uh, sorry, verse 12 of, of chapter 3 here in a minute. But in these first 11 verses, Paul is kind of setting the stage for what he's about to say and what we're going to study this morning. We have to know a little bit of this. Paul had talked about what the believers had to look out for and who he had been. And see, Paul, people were attacking Paul continually. There were always false teachers that were teaching a different gospel from Jesus, teaching a different Jesus, teaching a different message, that Jesus plus circumcision, those who were Jewish were saying, you have to do more. Jesus wasn't God, or that Paul didn't know what he was talking about, and he was getting rid of the law. You can't listen to him. He would, people would say, believe in the God of Rome. Believe in Caesar. Don't believe in Jesus. Besides, Rome's going to kill you if you go after Jesus. And they had confidence in who they were. But they were good people. It's not all that different than today. We're called to bow down to so many idols of culture. We're called to bow down to a different definition of love. It's an entirely separate message this morning, though. But Paul went through a list here in the first 11 verses of chapter 3. He would talk about how he was circumcised on the eighth day, which is like, that's when it's supposed to be. So he's saying, look, I got it all right. You have to understand this. I got it all right. He was of the people of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. These are like big names here in, in the tribes of Israel, right? He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He, he followed the law and he followed it meticulously. He was a Pharisee and he held fast to that conviction. And I know you're hearing this going, wow, why does that matter? Because these are the, I mean, he's checking the boxes. You want to be a Jew uh, in, that, in that day following Orthodox Judaism and you wanted to be a superstar, a Jew, right? You're checking these boxes, boom, 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 boom. And Paul's checking all these boxes, he was zealous over what he believed to be true for God, and he persecuted the church. He thought what he was doing was right. He was blameless under the law. It's how he lived. If anyone could boast in who they were, it was Paul. And then he says this in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted it loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, garbage. 
in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, sorry, that I may know know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul needed Jesus, but he didn't know it until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. See, Paul was going around to all kinds of different places, seeking out places where the church was. If we lived in that day, Paul would try to find this gathering, come in, and arrest every single one of us, if not kill every single one of us. And Paul thought he was doing the will of God. He thought he was doing the right thing. Until one day, he's on the road to Damascus to get another church. And Jesus shows up and says, yo, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's like, what? He's blinded. He's blinded in that moment. He's told to go and find, I believe his name is Ananias. He goes to Ananias and says, people say, hey, Paul's here. Ananias is like, what? I don't want to die. <laughs> right? And like, no, 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 you don't understand. He's been changed. He's been told to come and see you and that you would pray over him. He would be able to see again. And he says he's going to be used by God to spread the gospel. So Ananias had to have a lot of faith in that moment. And he did. Can you imagine the opposition Paul faced from the church? Now he's trying to preach the gospel. You want to think about politics today? Whoo! The church wanted him dead. They didn't want to listen to him. They thought he was coming. He had killed their family, their friends. And now you want to preach the gospel? But he counted it all as rubbish so that people would know Jesus because he met the Savior on the road to Damascus. He talked about how the fact his righteousness couldn't come through the law. He now realized that. That's not what it was ever intended to do. It's not about being perfect, though Paul could have claimed that. But look at what he says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, Paul knew he wasn't perfect. He knew he hadn't arrived. He had not obtained it, though at one point he thought he had. He was a Jew of the Jews. And in those moments, he thought he had it. But once he met Jesus and came to know him, his eyes were open to who God is and what God was calling him to do. Have you had that moment? Where God has called you and you've realized what he's called you to be, his son or daughter? Maybe you need to learn what that is, man. Ask for help. And why was that? Because Jesus had made Paul his own. His own. Consider that. Jesus has made you his own if you've given your life to him this morning, friend. How? 
through his death and resurrection, he has adopted you. I never want to take that for granted. Uh, Think about it. When an orphan is adopted, I'm telling you, I, I, I like to watch YouTube videos. And man, just the dogs when they're adopted. Have you ever seen some of the dog adoption videos? They're the cutest things ever. These dogs look like they're smiling. You know, I watched a video yesterday that the, the, this dog I just adopted held my hand the whole way home. He's so cute. But then you watch the adoption videos where a stepchild asks a stepdad to adopt them. Or a foster kid who stayed in a home, who's gone from home to home to home and has finally found a place. And mom and dad gives them a Christmas gift and says, we want you to have our last name and be a part of our family. It's like the pain goes away. Not that it's not still there, but they're chosen. I want to tell you this morning, my friend, you've been chosen. You've been adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I don't know what pain you bring in here this morning, but you have been chosen if you know him as Savior. And if you want to know him today, you can be a part of the same family. It's offered freely to you. You believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And you're part of that family. Don't ever take it for granted that God has made you his own. And what good father doesn't want to give good gifts and see them develop into the person that they've been created to be? I want that so desperately for my daughters. How much more does my heavenly father want that for me? So Paul knows that he's not perfect. But there's one thing that he does, one thing, not many things. He keeps it simple, one thing, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I, have, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, he forgets what's behind. He's like, no, all that stuff, all those things, I'm leaving them behind and I'm going for what's ahead. I've got to leave it behind. He left all of his past sins and all of his past failures behind. The things he'd done, what had he done? He killed people. He thought he was doing the right thing. He killed Jesus' followers. Some of his opposition was looking to his past and reminding him of it. And he says, no, this one thing I do, I'm going to leave it behind. i got to leave it behind. Jesus changed him. And he's different now. But not only that, he had to leave behind all of his past accomplishments. All the things he accomplished in the past was left behind. He could have just said, look, look at all these people that are now following Jesus because of me. Look at all these churches that are now a result of of what I've done. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a rest now. Let me ask you a question, my friends. What if the lions do that today? Hey, we made the playoffs! We won a game! What if they're like, hey, I'm good. I'm just happy to be here. I mean, we haven't been here a long time. And wow, you know, we won a game. Hey, we want to go to the Super Bowl, but you know what? We just won a game. We're just happy to be here. We're going to have our fans. What if they phone it in today? Do they reach the goal? 
No. But isn't that honestly always a temptation? I've accomplished a little bit, so I'm just going to take a rest now. What's the goal? The Super Bowl for the Lions. Sea Lions fans, I'm going to give you a little juice too. All right. What's the goal of following Jesus? Him. Not heaven, not what we can get out of it. It's a person. Remember, it's not a place. It's a person. It's Jesus. He's the goal. Do I look like him yet? No. Do you? Don't think so. We put our accomplishments behind too so we don't get trapped up in them. The goal is moving forward into Christ, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the goal. The goal is him. And Paul is using sports analogies here. All right? So it's not just me that uses sports analogies. Paul does it too. All right? He's pressing on. It's talking about having a constant intensity and the focus of an athlete looking at the finish line. Forgetting what lies behind. It's actually straining toward what's ahead. Straining and striving and going for it. He talks about not looking back because he knew what that did to a runner running a race. On August 7th, 1954, during the British Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada, the greatest mile run matchup ever took place. It was touted as the Miracle Mile because British, Rod, Britishman Roger Bannister and Australian John Landy were the only two sub-four-minute mile runners in the world. Bannister had been the first man to ever run a four-minute mile, and both runners were in peak condition for this race. Roger Bannister, who was a doctor who became Sir Roger Bannister and a master of an Oxford college, he strategized that he would relax during the third lap and save everything for his finishing drive. But as they began that third lap, the Australian poured it on, stretching his already substantial lead. Immediately, Bannister adjusted his strategy, increasing his pace, and he started to gain on Landy. The lead was quickly cut in half, and at the bell for the final lap, they were even. Landy became, began running faster and faster, and Bannister followed suit. Both men were flying. Bannister felt he was going to lose if Landy didn't slow down, the Australian. Then came the famous moment that as the last stride before the home stretch happened, the crowds roared. Landy, who was in the lead because of the crowd, crowd's roar, couldn't hear the footfall of Bannister behind him. And so he did the worst thing a runner can do. He looked behind to see where he was. Bannister would overtake him in the final 100 meters and beat him by five yards. When we look back, we can't go forward. You've got to stop letting the enemy remind you of who you were. Because you're not that person anymore. Jesus has changed you. And sometimes in order to be a disciple, not sometimes, the struggle is always this. We have to live into the truth, not into our past, not into the lies that are still there. We push forward. We press on toward the goal for the high call of God.
which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying here is keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get your eyes off him. Stop looking at other things. Stop looking at other people. Stop looking at hobbies. Stop looking at money. Stop looking at your past. Stop looking at your accomplishments and look at Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Keep looking forward. We live, we push forward in every circumstance and we grow together. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says this. Paul is talking, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me, that is with me. It's the grace of God that we can grow. And then verses 15 to 16, he says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What does discipleship look like? I believe it's two things. A disciple needs to follow someone, and a disciple needs to lead someone. It's both. Paul had people that helped him, and Paul led others. Every single one of us has, needs to have somebody that we can look to that we have asked to help us grow in our faith, that has permission to smack us upside the head if we need it. Not that that's the goal, but we all need a good smack every once in a while, right? Amen? I know I do. We need somebody that we can follow. We need somebody that, that we respect. Not that we put on the throne because only Jesus is on the throne. But Paul would say many times, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You need somebody in your life that you can look to that's just a little bit ahead of their walk with the Lord that you can learn from practically. Every single one of us needs that. And then you need somebody that's just behind you in your life that you're saying, hey, I want to help you. Come on, you can grow. You can do it. You're their cheerleader too. Because what we are given, we are given so we can give to others. And that's how God has made it. That's how God has put us together. It's these relationships we so desperately need. We desperately need these things. And then verses 17 to 21. Brothers, join in imitating me. Here it is. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, we even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all, subject all things to himself. Paul says, wait a minute, be careful of those that are going to attempt to draw you away from Jesus. Paul tried to reach all he could, but there were those that decided to walk as enemies of the cross. And he had to warn people, even through tears. And I hear and I feel Paul's heart here. I got to say, I look over Facebook at times. Over faces that I had the honor of knowing and loving over the years as a pastor, as a friend. Sometimes I have names and faces pass through my mind's eye. So many times a smile comes to my face and I pray for them. But there are also times when tears come to my eyes. And I wonder what happened. How did they reject Jesus? And I pray for them too. 
This is the reality of growing together. We never choose for anyone. We simply press toward the goal of Jesus Christ and invite people to join us every step of the way. And we apologize when we mess up because we will. And we love people and we just move forward together. Not everyone's going to stay the course. Not everybody will stay the course and continue to run the race. That's why Paul didn't look back. He kept his eyes on Jesus. And he goes on and he says, destruction will come to some people. Love still. Some people you love and care about will make the world their goal and they'll make their sinful acts their practice and they'll set their minds to obtain what they believe will fulfill them apart from God. Love well. Love well. And set your eyes on Jesus because our citizenship is in heaven and we wait for Jesus. I have a question for you this morning. How will you keep your eyes on the goal? What is your next step toward Jesus? What is your next step? I'm going to go back over this graphic, this four-chair graphic that's behind me. And I'm going to say some phrases from each chair. Like, these are the kind of things that you say if you're sitting in this chair. I'm sharing this with you so you can get an idea of where you're at. Because in order to grow, we have to figure out where we are and then figure out what our next step is. And so this morning, if you're in a chair, in the chair of the lost person that doesn't yet know Christ and you need to come and see him, these are some of the things that you might find yourself saying, I don't believe there's a God. The Bible is just a bunch of myths. God is just a crutch. There are many ways to get to God. I don't need to be saved since I'm as good as anyone else. Else, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. I'm a Christian because I go to church and I'm a good person. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. This is what you might believe or say if you're in the chair of of somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. Or do you sound like a believer? Do you, have you come to Christ, but you haven't yet grown? I believe in Jesus, but my church is when I'm in the woods. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I don't have to be in relationship with another Christian. I pray and read my Bible. That's good enough for me. My ministry work is my secular work. I don't have time for church. Everyone is a child of God. You're in chair two if those are some of the things that you might believe. Because we have to follow Christ and learn what it means to follow him. There's a hint of truth in those, but they're not completely true. Any of those statements. Or do you sound like a worker, a young adult who needs to learn how to fish for people? I love my growth community, but there are others who need a group like this. I think I could lead a group with a little help. See, that shift, not me, but I want to start thinking about what God might use me in the lives of other people. Look at how many people are in church today. I had to park in the back of the parking lot. How awesome is that? Instead of, I didn't get my parking space. Or even better, I didn't get my chair in church today that has a bronze thing on it. (laughs) Right? How about uh, Randy and Rachel have missed group, and I called to see if they're okay. Their kids have the flu, so maybe our group can make meals for them. I'll start. 
I'm ready to make some disciples, and I'll let you know if I need help. I'm so exhausted. This week I called all 60 men from men's breakfast to see how they were. My friends, so many, and I say this with as much love as I can say. We are so worried about ourselves that the majority of us are in chair two, and we don't know it. We wouldn't consider talking to somebody about their walk with the Lord. We wouldn't think about, man, I know that men's breakfast or ladies' event or whatever, there's a men's retreat coming up in May. I want to call every man of the church. No, our first response typically, I'm being super transparent this morning. Again, not about guilt, but I want to see us grow. The reality most of us go is, oh, that's Josh's or the deacon's jobs. Right? I mean, let's really think about it. We don't think about what it might take to help others know who Christ is. Every single one of us can take this responsibility on. But it's a shift of mind, and it's growing in our walk with Christ. Another thing you might say if you're a young adult, I really blew it. One of the women in our church, our group left the church. Man, I wonder if I've done something wrong. Now, that's not necessarily true, but if we feel that ownership, we're like, man, I miss that person. I want to reach out. Or if you're a disciple maker, you're a parent. Man, this, this guy at work asked me to explain the Bible to him. Pray for me. I want to do it. Someone from our growth community wants to get baptized. When's the next baptism? I want to get them plugged into the church. Help them take their next step. Hey, I realize discipleship happens at home too. Will you hold me accountable in spending time with my kids in the Bible and teaching them about Jesus? What chair are you in? Eric Liddell, who was the flying Scotsman, he was already famous when he made his phenomenal comeback to win the 440 meter in the Scotland-France meet. He was a, his fame increased as a runner and as a Christian, especially at the Paris Olympics in 1924, where he refused to run his best events, which was the 100 meter and the 4 by 100 meter relay, because they were on Sunday. And that was a Lord's Day. Chariots of Fire, which you may have seen the movie, it kind of says he, made the, he made the decision in the moment. No, he knew it before he went, that if those were on Sunday, he wasn't going to run. And so he decided well in advance to train for the 200 and the 400 meter races, which he had never won before, and he hadn't really trained for before, but he wasn't going to run on a Sunday because his conviction was that was God's day and he wasn't going to work on those days. Liddell took a bronze in the 200 and amazed the world by winning the 400 in a world record time of 47.6 seconds, five meters ahead of the silver medalist in the Paris Olympics. And while he was a runner and he's seen, he would be quoted to be said, I believe that God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's not his only devotion to Christ. In 1925... After the Olympics, he completed his degree in science in Edinburgh and, and a degree in divinity, as, and he set sail as a missionary to China with the China Inland Mission. In 1932, during his first furlough, the time he came home to talk about his ministry, he married Florence McKenzie. In 1941, facing the growing threat of Japanese occupation, he sent his wife and three daughters to Canada to stay with her family while he stayed on in China to serve the poor. 
Liddell suffered many hardships but kept on running hard after Christ. And in 1943, he was interned in the Weihaisen internment camp where he again cheerfully served those around him. He was arrested by the Japanese. A gold medalist. In 1945, at the age of 43, Eric Liddell died of a brain tumor that may have been caused by malnourishment and overwork. Liddell's grave was marked by a simple wooden cross with his name written in boot polish. He's interned at the Mausoleum of Martyrs in Xiazhang, China. The commentator said this, I don't know what the inscription says, but if, it were, but if I were to imagine one, it would be, he died running. He died running. Here was a man who, like Paul said, forgetting what lay behind and straining toward what lies ahead, he pressed on for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, I keep my eyes on Jesus, and I make sure that I am growing in him in every area of my life so that I'm not about to get disqualified when I preach. I ask you the question again, how will you keep your eyes on the goal? How will you keep your eyes on the goal? What is your next step toward Jesus? Shed off the failures of your past that you've been forgiven of and stop being reminded of them and stop being drawn back to them because every time you look back, you're tempted to go back and you, and you trip up and you stop running. Don't look back. Don't let past accomplishments make you believe that you're good today and live in complacency. Don't go, ah, I remember the golden days and it was better back then. It can be better today because of Jesus. Grow in Christ. Grow in maturity. There's some things Paul says here that we have to focus on as we, as we close. Number one, realize that you haven't arrived. I don't care how long you follow Christ. I don't care how much you know. Knowledge does not equal maturity. In fact, the Bible says knowledge puffs you up. So many of us in this room are educated in God well beyond our obedience. And we all have those times. Realize that you haven't made it. Realize that you haven't made it. If Paul didn't make it, man, I sure haven't made it. Realize you haven't made it. Pursue Jesus. Run after him. Press on. Strive toward that call. If there's something in your life that is keeping you from him, is it worth not having him? 
See, some of us get so worried that, that God's going to pull something something from our life or when we know there's something we should do and we don't do it, we're like, oh, God, it's so hard. I just, I don't want to do, I want to do this thing, but I want you and I know what I should do, but I don't do it. And there's all these obstacles in the way. Do you want Jesus? Then don't do it alone. That's why we have each other. Stop suffering alone. Stop thinking you have to pull out, pull everything and do everything on your own. We have each other. Pursue Jesus. Never forget the greatness of the gospel. Remember that you're adopted. Remember that you're chosen. And let that wash over you like the love of the Father that maybe you never had. That's my story. And God reminds me of that love all the time. Find someone to follow and look for someone to lead. Not out of pride and say, ooh, I'm a better Christian than that person. I'm going to go help them. <laughs> That's not how it works. Ask God for somebody that they might lead, he might lead you to. Ask God for somebody that you should go to and ask for help. Find someone to follow. Look for someone to lead. And finally, live into the citizenship that is yours in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Let's live like it is. Man, God wants so much for us. He wants so much. He wants to be able to use us for his glory. Does that mean you're going to get everything you want? No. It does mean you'll get everything you need. And then some. It'll be things you never anticipated you could ever do or be. And God will use you in ways that you never thought you could be used. You are loved beyond compare. Are you going to look for your next step in Christ? Are you going to run the race? I pray we can do it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love and your grace that makes any of the things possible that we talked about this morning. I thank you for the hope of eternal life that you've given us, Lord. If there's anybody here today that, that doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would hear how much they're loved, that they would hear that you died on the cross for their sins, and that, God, they would believe that you are who you say you are, that you're the Son of God, and that they would believe that you did what you said you did, that you, that you raised from the dead. You died on the cross, and you raised from the dead for our sins. God, that they would believe in your heart that, you, that you're Lord, and that they would confess with their mouths that that you rose from the dead. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, not tomorrow, but today. If anybody has questions about that, I pray they would have the courage to ask. God, for those of us that know you, God, I pray that we would look for what our next step is, that we would determine what chair we're sitting in and what our next step needs to be. God, that we would pursue you with our lives, that we would leave the past behind and straight forward toward you. Jesus, we need you. We're desperate for you. Show us our next step in you and give us the courage to take it knowing that we belong to you. Thank you for not making us do it on our own, but giving us the strength to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.